Imagine for a moment uh, that 10 years ago, uh, someone had the power to give you unlimited freedom. Unlimited freedom. So there was no limit on you on what you could do, where you could go, where you could travel to, how much money you could spend. There was no limit to the food that you could eat. Uh, There was no limit to spending money, to shopping, to entertainment. Uh, Maybe no limit to, to your sexuality, to those who you could sleep with. There was absolutely no limit to your freedom. You can do whatever you want. Well, many of us might think that 10 years later, our life might look something like this. Uh, Or maybe, uh, if you're not into the kind of romance thing, it would look like this free kind of uh, party, kind of uh, festival-going kind of life. Or maybe if you're not into that, it would look like that kind of party boy thing with the yacht and the girls in the background and just this whole uh, lifestyle like that. But it's interesting that um, even secular culture observers have been noticing that as more and more people seek unlimited freedom, at the very same time, they're experiencing crisis. And there's all these kind of new terms that are uh, evident in our culture, terms like choice anxiety, where people have so much freedom that they actually don't know what to choose anymore. And it's actually breaking them down physically, and it's breaking them down mentally. As people have pursued unlimited freedom, uh, we see uh, higher rates of obesity obesity than we ever have before. Our mental health figures are through the roof. Our suicide rates are through the roof. Through our premier sport, the uh, AFL, the biggest issue that the AFL are, are dealing with at the moment is players on young men on million-dollar contracts who are experiencing mental health problems and actually leaving uh, their sport. And so would unlimited freedom like this actually give us what we're looking for? Well, in the book of Galatians, Paul is actually having a discussion and he's following an argument about Christian freedom and the nature of it. And in fact, in chapter 5, verses 1, it's kind of the pinnacle of his argument. It's the mountaintop of his argument. And he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he is saying that in response to some people called the Judaizers who have come in And they are telling people in the church that, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to obey the law. You also need to get circumcised. You also need to follow the law of Moses. And Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh, that is wrong. Christ came to set you free from the law. If you go back to the law as the foundation of your faith, you are basically bringing Christ's work to nothing. So let me give a a kind of object illustration of what I mean. Uh, Imagine some people who come into the church in Galatia and they've got a tape measure with them and they're holding up this tape measure next to every person uh, and they're holding it up and they're saying that yes, you need to believe in Jesus but also every centimetre of the law must also be obeyed. You must obey every centimetre, every mark on here must be obeyed as well. And Paul has actually spoken a lot about this. 
in various writings. He's spoken a lot about it, but that even if you were able to, say, meet 50 centimetres of it, or maybe you were able to meet a, a metre of it, or maybe even two metres of the law, you still wouldn't be able to meet all of it. You still wouldn't be able to fulfil all of it. No one has ever been able to fulfil every mark of the law, except for one. And so when Jesus Christ came along, through his perfect life and through his perfect death, he was one who was able to fulfill all the requirements of the law. Every centimeter of the law, he was able to fulfill. And so now the gospel is this, that if you believe in Jesus by faith, you are free from the law. You are free from the law. You are no longer measured by this this tape measure, which only condemns you because it shows you that you felt fall short, you are free from being under, condemned under the law. But not only that, you are also free from those who hold the tape measure. You're free from the legalists, people who actually want to walk in among the church and they want to measure you to see if you're obeying the law. So Paul actually says that if Jesus has come and he's fulfilled all those marks of the law, what would be the point? in you going back and just trying to keep 50 centimetres or a metre or two metres of the law, that would nullify his work. It's already filled up. It's already done. Amen? Is that a great thing? Jesus has fulfilled the law. We are no longer under the law. This is the gospel, is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. This is not of our own doing. This is the gospel. But... The Judaizers are very, very worried about this message. They're very worried about it. And the reason that they're worried about it is that because they felt that all this preaching of freedom in Christ might actually make people live without any control on their flesh. It might actually make them think, well, you know what? I've got freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I like. If, I, if my flesh says I can do this, I'll do that. If it says that, I'll do that. I will use my flesh in the way that I want. But Paul also wants to argue against that. He says that that's not Christian freedom at all. And so he states it as clear as day. I want you to have a look down there at verse 13. He answers this, this issue. For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use it as an opportunity to gratify your flesh. The word flesh is actually used in a number of different ways. It could mean your physical body. But actually what Paul means here when he's talking about the flesh is that it means that rebellious part of our nature. That part of our nature that gets rules and wants to rebel against those rules. And that's what Paul calls the flesh. And in verse 19, he actually goes on to explain what those works of the flesh are when there is no control placed on them, when they're left to their own devices. It's a bit of a startling list. When Jenna read it out, you probably would have been a bit like, whoa, it's just a bit confronting to hear it. But he says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're evident. That's important. That firstly means that the works of the flesh are actually evident in the sense of the Bible makes them clear. 
The Bible actually makes the works of the flesh clear. There's an attack on that now. There's a lot of people saying that, uh, well, it's not clear. Well, maybe you can do that. Maybe you can do that. But the, the works of the flesh are evident. And so I sort of take that to be the first meaning. Uh, but the second meaning of it is maybe that they're evident in the sense that you can't hide them. You can't hide them. A lot of people think that their sin is private. I can just keep it to myself. It's just my private thing. No one but it's not. They're, they're evident they, our sins, the works of our flesh, they manifest. They actually come uh, out of us. And so he describes them. He says they're sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's quite a list. It's quite a list. And as you can, um, as you kind of examine these, you can actually see three kinds of chaos that they describe with this life of unlimited freedom of the flesh. The first one is this sexual chaos. It's sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. It's a sexual kind of chaos that comes when the flesh is left to its devices. The second thing is a spiritual chaos, idolatry and sorcery. And the third thing is a social chaos, the biggest list left for our relational issues of strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and things like these. These are things that affect our relationships, our horizontal relationships. They set it, the works of our flesh, they send our relationships into chaos. There's mess everywhere. And so Paul paints the picture not of sheer contentment, if I got all this unlimited freedom, if I could have this unlimited freedom, I could go anywhere, I could spend anything, I could sleep with whoever I want. It's not of sheer contentment that he paints a picture. It's of sheer chaos. It's a life of chaos. You know, the sexual chaos where God's design for loving somebody in the bounds of marriage and, and, and having sex in the bounds of marriage is distorted. And it becomes this thing about self-love and it becomes about image and it becomes about all the self-gratification, all this sort of stuff and this chaos that comes with that. And then also perversion, this perversion of our culture. And then secondly, you see it in spiritual chaos where people actually, they want to have spiritual experiences, but they don't actually want to approach God in the right way. They don't want to actually seek God through Christ in the right way. They want to do it through their own way. So what is it? It's worship of the self. It's basically worshiping me. I want to have experiences, uh, uh, spiritual experiences for me. And then the last one is social chaos, these relationships that are destroyed by self-interest. And so Paul describes this unlimited freedom of their flesh as complete and utter chaos. It's not the couple on the beach at all. It's not the festival goer. It's not the, the young bloke on the, on the yacht with the girls in the background. It's, it may look like that for a period of time, but underneath, it's chaos. It's soul-destroying stuff. I wonder if you've ever experienced this as you've pursued unlimited freedom uh, in your past, or maybe you've, you're pursuing it now, that it actually feels like a type of chaos. It feels like you can't keep up with yourself, and it feels like you can't keep up with the next thing. And your flesh is hungry for the next thing, and it's hungry for the next thing. It's never satisfied. It's not sheer contentment. It's chaos. That's the way uh, Paul kind of describes it. And so to the church, he says, uh, Christians have no business practicing these things. He says, make no 
opportunity for your flesh. In fact, just have a look there in verse 21. Uh, Paul gives a warning to say that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, just think about how Jesus described what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is a place that separates chaos from order. It separates order from chaos. It's a place where, uh, and a people, where things are right and where they're just and where they're good. And so those who practice the work of chaos have no business inheriting the kingdom of order. Those who practice the works of chaos will go into eternal chaos. They will continue to experience the fruit of their chaos for all eternity. And so this is life with unlimited freedom. It's like chaos. And just remember, the Judaizers are here, and they have an answer. The Judaizers here, they're back, they're with the tape measure. We agree with you, Paul, and what we think that the answer is, is to pull out the tape measure so that people go back to the law so that they don't make any opportunity for their flesh. This is the answer of the Judaizers. But Paul has a different answer. It's a beautiful answer. It's an amazing answer that actually... The spirit of the law, every centimetre of the law, will actually be wrapped up in two laws. To love God and to love people, and no longer will it stand outside of us, condemning us because we can never actually do it, but actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to write this law in our heart. And so that now, this is not this matter of striving, to obey the law and only finding ourselves condemned, but actually by the power of the Spirit, he's going to write the law to love God and to love people on our hearts so that this is actually becomes a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is actually going to produce in us this love for God and this love for, for people that we could never produce before on our own. How many of you are happy for the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? A one who is actually going to produce a life of loving God and loving people by his power. He's going to produce this in us. And so uh, Paul is saying that the experience of Christian freedom is a life repatterned and it's controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit within us. You see, for Paul, real Christian freedom comes not through the unlimited freedom of the flesh, and it's not going to come through the law, but by the Spirit. And it comes through the unlikely means of the Spirit's control in our lives, giving Him control to produce an even greater freedom. Have a look at this, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. This is Paul describing a greater freedom that comes with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want us to actually just go through them to consider what they mean. 
Wouldn't you love to be free of having to serve somebody and having to love somebody just so you could be loved back? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be amazing to be free of having to seek affection for people just to make you kind of feel better about yourself? Well, the Holy Spirit can do that because he produces the fruit of love, real love where you actually love people and you serve people, not for yourself, but actually because they have intrinsic value. There's something about that person because they're made in the image of God that has intrinsic value. And so you know what? You are freed to just love them, not to to love them in order to get something back, which is so often the kind of counterfeit love of our day. What about joy? You know, there's a kind of elation. There's a kind of excitement that bubbles away in the church. It bubbles away in our culture, and it's based on circumstances. If things are going well, I'm happy. If things are not going well, I'm unhappy. But the fruit of the spirit of of joy actually means that joy can be present in our lives through the ups and the downs of life. That's a miracle. That's only a work of the spirit. Can, can do something like that, can produce the fruit of joy in us. It's greater than mere happiness. What about peace? You know, one of, the, one of the alternatives to peace is that when there's something that you deeply care about, you deeply care about it, you are actually tempted over time when it's, when, when it's not resolved to just become indifferent. Uh, well, you know what? I'm just going to become indifferent. I'm not going to care about it because when I care about things too much, it hurts. It hurts. Is that true? Is that true? It hurts. I'm not going to care about it. Whatever. Forget about it. I'm going to become indifferent about it. That, that's a fruit of the flesh. But the Holy Spirit can actually produce the fruit of peace, which means in the things that you deeply care about, God can actually give you peace. He can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's a miracle. Peace in the middle of the storm. What about patience? We, are, are, we, are we trapped in the now? Are we trapped in the tyranny of the urgent? I must have it now. I must have everything now, otherwise I won't be happy. But actually, patience in our culture is something that's so radical and the, the Spirit actually produces this fruit of patience. I don't need everything that I, my, heart's desire, my heart desires now. I actually find myself that there's some, there's some value in being patient. There's some value in being in waiting and that God's actually teaching me through that and he's helping produce something through this patience. What about kindness? The, the fake alternative to this is, is like manipulative good deeds. You do things so that afterwards you can congratulate yourself afterwards and feel better about yourself, but wouldn't you want to be free from that? Don't you want to be free from that, that constant need to have to self-congratulate? Well, the Holy Spirit frees us from that through the fruit of kindness. And what about goodness? Uh, the description of goodness here is basically the idea where you are who you are in every circumstance. I wonder if you're anything a little bit like me at times, where in one place you're a certain way, and another place, you're a different way, and yet still another place, you're a different person. And actually, we do that because we feel this need to be approved, we feel this need to kind of keep the mask on, or to, you know, keep up the game in front of different crowds. But wouldn't it be wonderful to have the freedom to just be who you are, 
in every circumstance, at every venue, in front of every audience. The Holy Spirit can produce the fruit of goodness in us. It means integrity. It means everything in your life lining up no matter where you are. And people can see the real you. What about faithfulness? Are we suffering today from uh, a lack of faithfulness, from people letting us down, from being let down and letting other people down? Well, the Spirit can produce faithfulness. Uh, he can produce gentleness. The opposite is to be uh, self-absorbed and to be harsh and to be cynical, but the Spirit can actually produce the fruit of gentleness in us. And I think this is a big one, the last one, self-control. The, the ability to pursue what is important. Just have a think about this right now. What is the most important thing in your life? What is the most important thing? The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to pursue what is important over the things that are urgent. Rather than be impulsive, he gives us the ability to be controlled. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is a greater freedom. It's a greater freedom. And it comes through this unlikely means of giving him more control. And so how do we experience more of this freedom? Verse 16 is the headline of this text. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's four things that I want you to notice about walking in the Spirit from this verse. The first thing is this, it's a partnership. It's a partnership. God, uh, Paul gives the command to the church, walk by the Spirit. See, the essence of experiencing Christian freedom is not the message that we've often heard of let go and let God. I just let go, I do nothing, it's a passive experience, I just float and the Holy Spirit's gonna take control of my life and he's gonna change me. That's not the teaching of Paul. Paul says walk. It's a partnership. It's a partnership between you and the Spirit, between his obedience, our obedience and him coming in power to empower that obedience. The command is an active walk and that you walk in his pattern. How do you actually do this? Because, you know, how do we actually, how do we actually walk by the Spirit? I think the, the answer here is that what we actually do is that we actually place limitations on the pattern of our flesh. We actually place limitations on ourselves, on our flesh. When we have those desires in the power of the Spirit, we deny ourselves those desires. We deny ourselves those things. That is how we walk in the Spirit. And I want to tell you something. That's not legalism. There's this real trend in Christianity now that, sounds, that says that anything that kind of sounds hard or sounds like obedience must be legalism. It's not legalism. It's, it's simply that the Holy Spirit has invaded your heart and he wants to bring about this change to mature you in Christ and that means that rather than pursue unlimited freedom, we actually place limits on our flesh. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But it basically means this. Am I free to go here? Am I free to go there to spend this, to spend that, to watch this, to keep to myself, to keep to my money? In many, keep my money to myself, 
In many ways, yes. In many ways, the heart of Christian freedom is that, yes, we are free. But in order to experience the greater freedom of the Spirit, we actually place limits on these things to allow the Spirit to have more control. And so it's a partnership between you and the Holy Spirit. Well, secondly, it's a process. I wonder how many of you feel like sometimes the Christian life is just an endless thing list of things to get right. And, and when you fail, you experience tremendous failure, tremendous crash, and it really, really hurts. Well, Paul says here, walk by the Spirit, and in the Greek, it's described as a continuous walk. It's a continuous walk. You know, not everything that I am learning and experiencing in my obedience, and my personal obedience, was I ready to hear 10 years ago. Not everything now was I ready to hear 10 years ago, but over the last 10 years, a process of God speaking to me and responding through faith and repentance, God has given me things to enable me to go deeper in him, and it's a process. And there's been failures, constant failures, sin and thinking that I was past that and then falling back and then thinking I was past that, that, that whole thing, you know what I'm talking about. And it can feel like a real weight of failure. And sometimes what failure can do if we don't actually process it through the gospel and Jesus' forgiveness and grace and a fresh start is it can actually crush us. Sometimes we think uh, feeling shame of our failure is a virtue. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm over here in the corner and look at me, God. I'm feeling so ashamed. Aren't you impressed? And that's the payment that we're making for our sin. Do you realize that that, that undermines Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He filled it all up, and therefore, when you fall in shame, don't go and hide like Adam. Come back to Christ, come to the cross, find forgiveness there, find a fresh start, and walk again by the Spirit. And you need to keep on doing that in your whole life. You know, uh, the whole of the Bible is a book about repentance. You know what that means? It means change. It means turning from your flesh and turning toward God. And your whole life is a process of that. And as you do that, God is gonna set you free more and more and more and more and more. He's gonna set you free. He's gonna help you to experience more of the power of the Spirit. Well, the third thing is this. There's some pain. There is some pain. Have a look in verse 17. Paul literally describes the spirit and the flesh as like a war zone. It's like a war zone. Have a look at verse 17. It says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. It's literally like a war zone. What this means is that you are going to think out of this talk that something makes sense, but you are gonna walk out of this building and you're gonna be confronted again with your fleshly desires. And it's gonna hurt, and to give it up is gonna hurt. You're gonna go back through this week and you're gonna be confronted with your desires and the spirit is gonna be speaking to you, but the flesh wants to do something else and it's a clash. And so what we have to realize and recognize and be prepared for is that this is gonna be painful. The more we relinquish control, there is going to be pain, but there is going to be greater freedom 
on the other end. And the last thing to note is that this is a promise. Note, he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The promise is this, that the more in your life that you place limits on your flesh and become aware of the Spirit each day, forming you and shaping you, the more of the freedom of the Spirit that you will experience, the more love, the more joy, the more peace, the more patience, the more kindness, the more goodness, the more self-control. You can be freed from all the things that trap us into being self-interested, self-focused, and you're gonna experience more of the freedom that the Spirit gives. You know, the Spirit keeps our heart happy in God's promises, amen? He does that. He keeps our heart happy in His promises. The more we listen to and feast on and feed on His promises, the happier our heart is. And so this is what we need to do. We need to feast on His promise of freedom and, in fact, His promise of future freedom, that for all those who walk this way, having met Christ in the gospel, in the forgiveness of our sins, will experience the order of an eternal kingdom, eternal joy, eternal freedom. And so that is how change happens in Christians. That's how we experience uh, freedom in him. It's not by the law, and it's not by using your Christian freedom to go and indulge your flesh. It's actually by being controlled by the Spirit. Now, in a sense, I've explained how it works from Galatians 5, but the question is, are you walking by the Spirit? That's the only question that matters out of this this talk. Are you walking by the Spirit? Have you experienced this miracle, this, this miracle, the one where by faith, God writes on, the, on your heart the law of love by the power of the Spirit? That miracle And it's actually by the power of the Spirit changing your heart so that you're free to love and you're free to be filled with joy and peace and patience and kindness. And so I want to ask you this this morning, with the grace of the Lord Jesus always ever before you, what limits do you need to place on your flesh in order to receive the greater freedom of the Spirit? Right now, what limits do you need to place on your flesh? Lord, Help me from getting, always needing to get in my two cents worth so that I can win the argument for the greater freedom of experiencing love and patience. That's a greater freedom. Lord, help me to limit my flesh on my spending so I can experience the greater freedom of self-control. Lord, I need to limit the amount of time that I just stare at my phone, uh, ignoring my family, ignoring my kids, and seeking the approval of social media or just the amusement and entertainment of that to instead experience the freedom of your peace. Uh, Lord, I need to limit the right that I have to obey my mood swings. I have mood swings and I have the right to be moody, but I want to experience the freedom of joy beyond my circumstances. That's real freedom. Lord, I need to place a limit on my flesh around gossip. Because I gossip, I speak uh, harshly about people and wrongly, and I use information that I found from them, and I go and tell it to other people, and that actually makes me feel really good for about five minutes. For about five minutes, until I'm confronted with my flesh 
and how weak I am and how I actually need to survive on cheap eats like that to make me feel good. But, oh, Lord, wouldn't you produce in me the freedom of being kind? (laughs) The freedom of being kind. So what limits do you need to place on your flesh in order to experience the greater freedom? And I want you to notice this, that Paul isn't just speaking to to individuals here. We often, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we often think about individuals. But he's actually writing this to a church and actually to a number of churches. And so it's a good thing for us to think about this corporately. What is the fruit of our church? What is the fruit of us together? What limits do we need to place on us as a church in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do I want the freedom to ignore the outsider, the poor, the broken? Do I want that freedom? Maybe. And you might get some ease out of that. You might get some comfort out of that. But what about the greater freedom of love? Or do I want the freedom to stay away from community and just come when I want to? It is really nice to actually gain the freedom of lying on the couch, isn't it? It's a nice freedom, but what about the greater freedom of goodness and love and faithfulness? I can leave the ministry load to others and benefit from the freedom of extra time, but what about the greater freedom of faithfulness? You know, one of my fears about the amusement church, which is basically where, you know, everyone comes just to be amused and entertained, which I think is the big problem of our church today in the West. My big fear about it is that it's not really reaching anybody. And so what we as a church actually need to do is we actually need to place a limit on our flesh to want to desire what is entertaining and what fills me up and what amuses me and what feels comfortable in order to walk that narrow road of discipleship of Jesus. Where we return to actual simple Christianity Uh, Prayer, uh, the word, telling people about Jesus, caring for the poor. And we actually place limits on our flesh for everything else because we want to see that happen. We want to see the greater freedom of the gospel go out. And so you actually say, and we all say it together. We actually stand and we all say it together. I want to see this Lord come to bear in my life and in the church. So that when people experience me, when they experience our church, they experience a people who are freed to love and they're filled with joy and they're filled with peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. See, as you mature as a Christian, what you find is that the more you place limits on your flesh, the more experience of the freedom of the gospel and the spirit you will experience. The less you limit your flesh, the more fragmented your relationship with God will be. It will be fragmented. It will be bitsy. It will be here and there. It will be spurts and sputters, splutters. And so the question is, is what limit now is the Holy Spirit calling you to place on your flesh? I read, uh, just as we close, a story of uh, a man named Howard Guinness who came here about 90 years ago to Australia 
and he did an amazing work actually in uh, universities and setting up a whole bunch of evangelical ministry in universities in Australia. Amazing man. And I want you to listen to these words that he wrote. Where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death? Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in his service? Where are his lovers, those who love him and the souls of men more than their own reputations or comfort or very life? Where are the men who say no to self, who take up Christ's cross to bear it after him, who are willing to be nailed to it in college or office, home or mission field, who are willing, if need be, to bleed, to suffer and to die on it? Where are the men who are willing to pay the price of vision? Where are the men of prayer? Where are the men who, like the psalmist of old, count God's word of more importance to them than their daily food? Where are God's men in this day of God's power? Well, the answer is, is that they will come from those who choose to walk by the Spirit. Not those who want greatness without dying to self, but who daily seek the greater freedom of the Spirit. They will be God's unsung heroes. They will be the ones that God uses to accomplish his work through daily acts of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of those things. Let's bow our heads. I said that the only question that matters is we just come now and we just have a moment between you and the Lord, the only question that matters is in your life right now, are you walking by the Spirit, in the pattern of the Spirit? All the things that the Holy Spirit loves, that we see in Jesus Christ and the Father, are you walking by those things? And just as you consider that, I want you to consider this. What limits do you need to place on your flesh in order to experience the freedom? What, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? Has pointed to you, out to you this morning, that you need to bring before him, to bring before Christ who offers second chances. Who, who binds up the the broken and brings people back into close fellowship and then sets us free to walk again by the Spirit. What are those things? Just bring them to the Lord, confess them to the Lord, receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Just give you a moment to do that.
thank you, our God, for the miracle that has taken place in the gospel where we're no longer condemned by the law, we're no longer measured by the law, but by Christ's perfect fulfillment of the law. Lord, so often we turn our nose up at the sacrifice and we go and we seek to indulge our flesh thinking that freedom meant we could do what we want. It lulled us into this sense of doing as we please. Oh Lord, we want to repent of that. We want to turn from that and we want to experience again renewal and refreshment in Jesus who sets us free for just a wonderful life of love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and all those things. So Lord, I just pray for any person here, Lord, who's just being confronted with themselves today. Lord, I pray that there would be hope that's coming in, hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus is forgiveness and a second chance and the opportunity for renewal. I pray that they would know that deeply in their heart today.